Genre. And welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Richard Poole from the TV show Death in Paradise. Joining me for the discussion is returning guest Rachel Armstrong. Welcome back, Rachel. Thank you. Hello. Very glad to have you on to talk about Death in Paradise. Death in Paradise is a detective show set on a Caribbean island and created by Robert Thorogood. We're discussing season one, episode one, titled Arriving in Paradise. It was written by Robert Thorogood and directed by Charles Palmer. And Ben Miller stars as Richard Poole. And in this series, there's a uh, British detective who is set in a uh, Caribbean island. And so you see a lot of the stereotypes of uh, uptight Britishness, London, <laughs> preferring cold temperatures, uh, running against a very different setting than what we're used to seeing those. And if, like me, you've watched a few BBC detective shows, like you know some of the <laughs> stereotypes they're playing with, uh, and and uh, it, it's not the traditional setting where, for most British crime shows, it's like constantly raining and yeah. uh there's angst about the human condition <laughs> and and uh there's there's very often like just you might as well just end up fade to black on every episode <laughs> and this is a very different feeling uh i mean it's still a murder show every week there's a new murder in a very small island i know <laughs> Um, this is a show that I, uh, Emily and I had found just like surfing around for, uh, I think we were specifically looking for British crime shows. Like, ah, we need another one. And we found this and we watched at the time. I want to say there were seven seasons. Now there's, I think the 11th season is airing right now yeah. in England. Um, and it's, I, I, I enjoyed it <laughs> you know, the whole way through. There's lots of twists and turns. Uh, we'll, we'll get to some of it in the trivia. Um, but that kind of constant fish out of water aspect just gives it a different flavor than a lot of murder of the week shows yeah rachel how did Um, you find death in paradise yeah i think i i think i stumbled upon it which is rare because i get most of my pop culture from my older siblings or my younger sister so they almost never get anything from me um but i think this one i stumbled upon during like some streaming service um and but it was a while back i think there had only been about four seasons at the time so yeah and it's one that i know also airs on uh pbs with their i think masterpiece mystery they they slip slip this one in there um yeah i found it on Britbox on apple tv mm-hmm. and so. i think for a while it was on netflix that's when i found it uh but i don't think it's there yes. now so i think you need Britbox uh either through amazon or apple tv if you're gonna yeah. stream it now or catch it when it's on pbs um so let's give a little bit of trivia about this. Um, and Rachel, you've you've dropped some in and I've dropped some in. So why don't, whichever one of us dropped it in, why don't we read that one? So you have the first one here. Yes. So a Radio Times article from 2018 reported that from Australia to Russia to India, stretching across 236 territories, this British comedy crime drama has become a global phenomenon. I think it's always surprising um, because we're so used to centering like American entertainment to like yeah. step back and realize – the breadth of uh, like the BBC's reach across the world, which is not unproblematic in its history and how yes, it got there. Yes. Uh, but there is so much reach that BBC uh, entertainment is is able to have uh, across the world. Besides, you know, for us as American audiences, very often arriving through PBS or just through streaming services is where we find a lot of it now. Uh, but it yeah. is everywhere. <laughs> um, so as part of the series, uh, just worth noting in part because of the, the remote shooting location for the British and French actors and actresses who play many of the roles. Um, like this is filmed in uh, Guadeloupe in the Caribbean. Uh, the series has had a lot of cast turnover, both for leads and supporting characters. Um, I think in the end, the show has decided to center the location and the mystery of the week more than the characters themselves. But viewers are definitely given enough backstory and motivation to become invested in the characters. So whenever that turnover happens, it never is fun, I think, for the audience. Uh, but the show has managed to, um, you know, walk that that tightrope for, at this point, 11, 11 series is what they're called uh, in, in the BBC, not, not seasons. Um, and, you know, multiple cast changes. Uh, and almost always, like, when you go find out, like, why did this, uh, you know, character get written off the show? It's like, well, I wasn't seeing my kids for six months of the year because yeah. I was off filming this. And uh, they're starting to notice it. So I, I felt like I had to be home. It's, it's hard yeah. to get angry about that. I know. You're like, good on you for being a good dad, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, let's see. The setting uh, is a fictional Caribbean island called Saint Marie. And in this, in the pilot, they say this island was colonized by the French, then conquered by the British, conquered by the Dutch, conquered by the French again, back to the English again in the seventies. Uh, and there's a complex mix of original inhabitants of the island, the languages and customs of the colonizers, the current international treaties and responsibilities that come up in several of the episodes. Um, the the general you know, setting is though a British detective inspector in charge of a police department with local officers. Um, but then a local police commissioner is overseeing the British DI uh, and, and the department as a whole. Uh, and so some of that tension is, is that fish out of water um, outsider in a, in a new culture with um, the, 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 both the person over him and the people under him um, yeah. being more familiar with, with uh, the culture. Um, so this is, absolutely a murder of the week tv series which uh, there are so many of them like hundreds of murder of the week tv tv series but it really is all about the unique location um but because the unique location is this small island it isn't the first of these murder of the week uh shows to run into this issue but that small isolated little cow (laughs) means sometimes there's head scratching moments if you like watch a bunch of episodes back to back or you know binge the entire series it's like how big is the population <laughs> that no one is caring about this high percentage of murders that yeah, are taking place? Why or... hasn't this island gotten a reputation for being like <laughs> like tourists don't go death. there because every year three or four tourists get murdered by their by by their bachelor party um, or <laughs> on their wedding day on their wedding day yeah this is not where you want to go if you're trying to have a celebration because you will be in one of these episodes um and or um another thing that happens is like there's a murder that takes place and we're like, oh, this is one of the, like the most important people on this island. I'm like, I've been visiting this island for three seasons now and this person has never <laughs> been mentioned and they're like at the center of all business and all tourism Yeah, <laughs> and then they will never be mentioned ever again. <laughs> uh, but, you know, a murder happened there and they wanted to be very important. Um, so it's just, you know, an odd quirk of the small location murder of the week shows. And as we noted, it began, uh, well, it's in its 11th season. It began in 2011. So it actually has kept up the one series a year, which is not always the case with BBC shows. Um, And it already has had a 12th series ordered. So there'll be at least one more Um, though. It seems to be popular enough. I won't be surprised if they, they, you know, they keep it going. I know it could be an NCIS kind of deal, you know, or law and order or something. (laughs) And um, so the series films on the Caribbean archipelago of Guadeloupe, which is an overseas department of France and part of the, eu um and when it started filming they said it was very hard because there was just no infrastructure for long-term filming for the crew for the cast um and in that first season uh the lead actress also broke her leg so they had to rewrite episodes on the fly (laughs) to remove her character or lessen her character's role i think she was written out of one entirely and really lessened her role into others and so it was like they just thought this is this is so hard but now it's been doing it for decades so a lot of that um, infrastructure and just the the way we're going to do this here has has now become you know part of the the institutional memory of the, of the show's production, um, which is another reason why I, th- I won't be shocked if we get uh, you know another few seasons because like there's been so much investment in, yeah. in making the show happen there and it's popular enough you I think you just keep that rolling right yeah yeah I wonder how it's affected the island you know has that provided jobs or has that been Mostly yeah, like I mean, I, I haven't looked into the behind the scenes on this, but I know, um, like for Survivor, they've kind of set up shop in Fiji for the last uh, at least 10 seasons, um, I think it is. Whereas before, initially, they would bounce around. Uh, and that was yeah. part of the allure of the show was like, okay, this this is Survivor, uh, you know, Borneo. This one is Survivor Micronesia. You know, we're going to move to different locations all the time. Uh, but there was this big write up about the like the local crew that it literally is hundreds of people are employed by survivor every summer uh you know as as they come to film and they've got just this massive infrastructure that now exists which is one reason why they've decided to just keep going back to fiji every time because i mean imagine every time you wanted to go film a season you had to go higher uh it's about 400 is the total number of crew that's involved in it and you had to go yes you've got you know your core groups that are traveling with you wherever you go but you've got to find that number of uh, you know, of professionals who who can come work on this. It's yeah. just logistically very difficult. Um, and it's got to be similar for for Death in Paradise that it's it's hundreds of people that are having to be employed every every time they have their filming season happening. Yeah. 
Um, Chris Marshall, who played Detective Humphrey Goodman in later seasons of the show, um, received criticism when he revealed that part of his reason for leaving after four great years is that his son had started to adopt cultural Caribbean stereotypes. Um, and uh, he has since apologized for his comments, uh, which he stated propagated negative cultural stereotypes and reflected his privilege as a white man. So kind of going back to, we talked about there are different reasons for leaving. In his mm-hmm. case, he was worried about his son's education, perhaps unfairly. So, Yeah, I, I, I think the show, I mean, it's not episode to episode. Like you, I you don't feel it like being beaten over the head. Yeah. Uh, the, the layers of colonization and, and colonialism <laughs> that are yes. present on the Island, but it does get brought up. And sometimes, you know, sometimes there are episodes that are going to talk about like the, the different national borders that have to be crossed in order to pursue uh criminal because of the, you know, that region is, has so many different treaties and uh, things in place, or it becomes uh, very prominent for like a storyline a season, you know, to address this. Um, yeah, and even in the first episode of the first season, they um, talk about these, uh, you know, just the kind of trickiness of the colonization. Yeah, I mean that that whole little thing I uh, I listed of like, okay, it was it was French, then Dutch, then English, and like that's a monologue. Yeah, that, that's given uh, to kind of tell the new di what he's getting into which he has no idea what he's getting into yeah <laughs> he d- oh man uh, i forgot the actor's name ben miller he did such a good job of like the oh, he's exasperated so like i like i the i feel like i should be in control but i don't understand yeah <laughs> what is going on right and now. he's like kind of so frustrated again yet likable he plays it very well mm-hmm. um the creator of the series robert thorogood has written four novels with the original cast of characters um, from the show, which to me says kind of like that. That's where his heart is <laughs> with yeah, the original group I that know. he had to bring in because <laughs> those were after like multiple iterations of the, of the core cast. But when he when he wrote his four novels, they, they were back to the originals. Yeah, he's not going to kill off his main <laughs> character. <laughs> All right. Well, before we go on to a full summary of the pilot episode, listeners, we want to thank you for uh, downloading this episode and for listening. We especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes, which we talk about the media we've been consuming that we're not yet covering as full episodes of the podcast and all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. So now on to the spoiler summary of arriving in paradise, the first episode of death in paradise. At a party, a mysterious woman is sneaking around, and we see her open a safe. A gunshot is heard. She slips away in the confusion. The police are called because the panic room has been locked, though the owners of the house are not in the panic room. And the panic room can only be opened by the police. When it is opened by Police Sergeant Lily Thompson, the British detective inspector's body is inside of the panic room, and he's been shot. A new British DI, Richard Poole, is sent from London to investigate this murder. He does not take to the island life. He insists on wearing a suit and tie, even though it's 100 degrees at all times. And like he's wearing his dress shoes on the beach. <laughs> like, uh, oh, he just looks so uncomfortable and hot and sweaty. Uh, he's overwhelmed by sunlight. He hates sand. He just doesn't fit in with this culture. Sergeant Thompson takes him to the beach shack slash house where his predecessor lived. Uh, he's not impressed <laughs> with this. And it, I mean, it is uh so this is where um oh what's the name of the uh the one who's been killed uh i got it in summer yeah charlie yeah. charlie holm right yeah home yeah uh it is directly on a paradisiacal beach <laughs> like it, it is just everywhere you look it is the most gorgeous terrain and setting and sunrise and yeah. sunset are just gorgeous and you step out and it's just uninhabited beach on all sides and you're living on this in the in this small house right there and richard Poole just hates it with every every bit of him he can't stand this he is just repulsed uh with this so now richard Poole is going to go to the house where the party had taken place and he begins his investigation james lavender is the man who owns the home and he confesses that he was down on the beach with a special a special friend not his wife sarah when the gunshot was heard uh he says his wife saw the saw him and his special friend together and they argued and then uh when the alarms went off he hid until the police arrived he says that he and his wife knew the code to the safe that was broken into but nobody else should have known that code Sarah, his wife, says that she went to change after wine spilled on her when she was arguing with her husband, and she was in her room showering when the alarm went off. Neither the husband or wife invited the dead policeman to the house, nor opened the safe. In the, the safe is in the panic room. 
So now D.I. Poole is told that the body, a broken vase, and a book that was on the body are all actually on a different island because St. Marie doesn't have a forensics lab. He is not pleased because he's like, okay, next part of the investigation. Let's look at the <laughs> look at everything. And the, uh, it's uh, Lily, Sergeant Thompson. Uh, he's like, um, none of that is here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he orders that the book and the vase be mailed back to him. When he returns to the beach house, a mysterious woman, or oh, it is the mysterious woman from the party, is searching the house. She pretends to have been Charlie's house cleaner. Poole recognizes a smell in one of Charlie's towels and returns to the house where the party took place and tells Sarah that he knows she had been with Charlie because he smelled her perfume on that towel in Charlie's house. Sarah confesses that she was having an affair with Charlie, but insists that she loved Charlie and would not have killed him. She also gave Charlie the safe combination because Charlie had told her that there was a book in the safe that if he could look at it, he would be able to put her husband James in prison so that Sarah and Charlie could then be together. Uh, Poole tests a, a 22 caliber pistol, which is the kind that had killed Charlie to see if it could be heard outside. So he goes into the panic room and shoots uh, the 22 caliber caliber pistol and no one hears it. And then he goes outside of the panic room and sees if shooting into the panic room, it could be heard and it can't, it's just not loud enough. Uh, so the guests must have heard a different gunshot. Sarah says that uh, her father's old service re- revolver was hidden, but it, uh, when she goes to look for it, the service revolver is missing. That would have been loud enough uh, to be the gunshot that the party goers heard. Only she and James knew where this gun was hidden. Poole tries to read the book that was with uh, Charlie in it, and it's just a boring guidebook. He doesn't understand why this would have been in a safe or why it would be important at all. He also takes the dozens, if not hundreds of pieces of the vase and begins to try and glue it, glue it back together. <laughs> After a very long night of puzzling the broken pieces of the vase back together, he goes to take a shower. The water pressure is awful, and when he checks the shower head, he discovers a hidden safe deposit box key is in the shower head. They take this and open up the safe deposit box and find stacks of cash and blank passports. There's also a photograph of a boat that belongs to James Lavender in the safe deposit box. They go and search that boat and find the strange woman from the party is there and they arrest her. Uh, The police also find James Lavender dead on the beach of an apparent suicide with a 22 caliber pistol. Back at the police station, the police commissioner tells Poole that the woman, the mysterious woman that he arrested, was actually Detective Sergeant Camille Bourdais, and she had been working undercover for two years on a case against James Lavender. Sergeant Thompson offers to close up the case for Detective Poole because it looks like Charlie was working with James Lavender as human traffickers, and the deal must have gone bad, leading to the murder-suicide. But Poole says he still just doesn't understand how Charlie was killed inside of the panic room. So he brings the reconstructed vase, including where you can see two bullet holes, you know, one entering and one exiting the vase after it's all been glued back together. Uh, he brings that to the crime scene, and they use a laser pointer to figure out the bullet's trajectory. They find a 38 caliber bullet, explaining the gunshot the guests heard. Now Poole starts thinking through the pieces he has, um, and he makes lots of connections. He reveals that Charlie would have gone into the panic room for the safe uh, and unlocked the safe with the combination given to him by the wife. He found the mysterious book. James Lavender saw Charlie, grabbed his wife's father's service revolver, and shot at him, but only hit the vase. Then Charlie went back into the panic room and locked the door. The door had to be locked from the inside. There's no way to lock the panic room from the outside. So Charlie had to be the one to do that. Then James went and threw his gun into the ocean and made a phone call to Sergeant Sergeant Thompson. She came and opened the panic room and quickly stepped inside and Charlie Holm inside and then reported that she had found a dead body. She planted the safe deposit key in Charlie's house and to try and make Charlie look like he had been a corrupt cop who had been helping James when in reality she and James had been working together as human traffickers. Uh, Then she shot James to make it look like a suicide. As for the book, Poole surmises that Thompson swapped out the book Charlie had actually been holding for one from the very crowded bookshelf that is just outside of the panic room. Uh, He scans that bookcase and finds a ledger with evidence of human trafficking, uh, as well as splattered bits of uh, drops of Charlie's blood on it. Poole is assigned against his wishes to take Charlie's post uh, in St. Marie, and the undercover cop whose cover he blew is assigned to the force to the end. Nice. Nice to done. Thank you. Um, 
this is a really interesting series <laughs> because on the one hand, it is just a murder of the week, which can be enjoyable. I've watched many hours of murder of yes. the week shows. Uh, I do not want to disparage that genre, but there is also a pattern and a rhythm that you're used to. And something about this one does feel different uh, with the constant fish out of water, uh, very British lead in, in the Caribbean country. Um, and I think there's layers of issues that come with that kind of like exploration of colonialism. Sometimes it's handled well, sometimes it's very clumsily uh, done and maybe, maybe not terribly successfully. Um, but it's, it's something that I've enjoyed despite all the cast changes, the different motivations we're going to get for who's who and you know, why they're doing what uh, it's still satisfying to have a murder of the week on this Caribbean Island and see it solved within uh, yeah. 50 minutes time. Yeah, definitely. And one of the things I loved most about the show is that, um, especially in the first couple seasons, Detective Poole is um, really ornery. You know, he's like, so, as you said, a fish out of water in this beautiful place. Um, but it's not it's not paradise to him. But the people he works with are so generous with him. You know, they keep inviting him to come have drinks and to eat food with them and to experience this culture. And he keeps saying no. Um, but they're, they continue to be... Um, generous and kind to him and until he's finally able to open up and we get this sense that he's always felt pretty lonely and he's finally getting this opportunity to warm to this community and be a part of it and and, and to gain a, like an adopted family like a yeah. a sense of a sense of belonging which feels yes. so out of place when we first see him in his suit and tie and everyone is like making fun of him for wearing the suit and yeah. tie and it just looks like physically uncomfortable to see him oh man he looks so sweaty i bet he was literally so sweaty <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, like, I was I was thinking like, did you know, do they put in the vents? Because sometimes when uh, you're wearing suits on shows like the costume designers actually putting in vents to give cooling and, and other things. Yeah. Uh, but he does look so sweaty <laughs> that maybe they didn't. They're like, you know what? We just want the authenticity yeah. of, of you looking hot. Um, what about, is there anything in particular besides the, the location that you think stands out for this one? This this particular murder of the week show? Well, I love, um, I think Camille Bourdais, the detective sergeant, is so great. Yes. Um, she's just, especially in the first episode, so capable and so smart. And she's really playing a lot of angles. Um, and then she's part of that effort to bring him in and create this community with him. And she does sometimes in later episodes get relegated to being the person who he tells his discoveries to. So that's mm -hmm. not quite as exciting. But she has... Um, she's just really she's super charismatic she's very capable so she's really fun to watch and then also their dynamic is very fun and it's kind of a will they won't they mm -hmm. <sighs> I, don't, I don't know how much we're going into uh, we'll, we'll just say that characters come and go on the show <laughs> yeah uh, so. but yeah she is i mean the I, I understand why we did the pilot to talk about this, um, but I, I, I'm also a little sad that we don't get to dig into her character because I think she is yeah. one of the best parts of these early seasons. Oh yes, um, for sure of the show, and also like she's just one of the most straight. <laughs> like she just owns the screen when she is on the yeah. screen. Uh, the the camera loves her, and she has um like a gravitas in how she's going to yes. carry herself. That in some ways just overpowers everyone else on the screen. I think even even uh detective pool like, like even the lead like there's yeah. there's something about uh i don't know if it's it's the actress's height uh or the way that she's able to hold herself but she just she's has got power this great about voice her. yeah mm -hmm. yeah um so so we, yeah i mean we're, we're gonna be talking more about richard pool but if you're gonna listeners go watch the the first few seasons i think you'll really enjoy her character um within that um i think there's also it needs to be said that uh the mysteries in this tend to be pretty satisfying uh, yes. with, with the twists uh, that we get. Um, like I said, I've watched, you know, entire runs of a lot of American murder of the week shows in, in my, in, in my television viewing. And sometimes you can spot the murderer way earlier than the show intended yes, you yeah. intended you to. Um, and I think there, there is um, a quality of the writing that even if this wasn't on, the Caribbean Island, I'd be pulled in by the mysteries that they give us. And they give us very often that kind of Agatha Christie finale of, yeah. you know, the, 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 um, you know, the drawing room scene, wherever it's going to gather and the detective is going to explain, you know, yeah, and they kind of make fun of that. 
they make fun of that a little bit later on when a new detective arrives and they're like, don't you want us to gather the suspects? And he's like, why would I have you gather the suspects? And I'm like, well, the last guy did it. I'm like, oh, okay. A bit, so, bit dramatic, but let's give it a try. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like this, this pilot, um, they, they give you some good red herrings. Um, it, you could have like think you were getting there with the, uh, you know, the red herring of, oh, he, he was a corrupt cop, uh, you know, yeah. and, uh, and things like that. But then they also, um, I don't think you ever feel quite satisfied with the red herrings. Like, is enough to be like, okay, is that what they're doing? But then it doesn't also feel right for the audience. And sometimes I, I think shows get too invested in giving you the red herring where it's like, that was actually the satisfying ending. Like you wrote that one better. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think it avoids that trap. Yeah. Actually, that reminds me, I read, um, and then there were none, uh, by Agatha Christie, you know, the one it used to be called, Ten little Indians. Yeah, I was gonna say, it's had a couple names. <laughs> yes. And um, I was so frustrated by it because I felt like clearly any of the people could have been the ones responsible. Mm-hmm. Um, it might have been partly because the person who ends up being responsible was swallowed by a giant red fish. And uh, I didn't know what a red herring was at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was clearly a red herring. But at the same time, <laughs> I was like, I, I felt like that this very famous mystery novel, uh, you know, like any one of them really could have done it. You know, it had, yeah. there wasn't a sure course and that was frustrating to me, but um, mm-hmm. that might just be because I was missing clues or something. <laughs> well, my, so. like my family has done for several years now, like a, 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 at the Christmas season, we'll do like a murder mystery dinner party. Oh, fun. Thing. And some years, because you never know, you know, we, we just order one, you know, and like no one knows because oh, yeah. you want everyone to be participating. No one knows what's going to happen. And there are some years where like it is a little frustrating where it's like, well, I have like half a motivation for everyone in this room. Yes. And I don't actually have enough of a clue to eliminate any of you. So I'm just going to make a guess because it's time for us to make our guesses <laughs> <laughs> at the end. It's like I, I don't think anyone could have outside of just making a guess yes. really landed on what was going on. Yeah. Um, Whereas in this show, I feel like generally you can get there. But it's satisfying. It doesn't feel like you're being spoon-fed. It also doesn't feel like you're being too swerved away. Yeah. 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 Um, So well done uh, consistently (laughs) on this show for for that aspect of a a mystery, which is not always landed on perfectly. Um, What about Richard Poole as our protagonist of the series stands out for you? Well, I think it's so interesting because he's so clearly – not handling this change well you know he's in his black suit and tie and he's hot and he keeps calling people back in england to be like i'm coming home soon but could you take out my garbage bins and i think i left a tangerine in. in my desk or something i, I can't remember what it was <laughs> yes it was a tangerine i don't want it to rot while i'm away yeah he tells soon. his boss i did leave a tangerine in the top left hand drawer of my desk so. <laughs> um but at the same time he um you know, he, he opens up to Sergeant Thompson, who ends up being the murderer, mm-hmm. about – she asks him, like, what's a happy memory he has? And he talks about the pub where he would go to sit, and it would be raining outside and warm inside, and he would drink his first sip. And um, that's where he felt, like, a sense of being in the right place. And I think that's very relatable that we're all, you know, at least for me, that I'm trying to find – place that feels like oh this is the spot for me and yeah Sergeant I, love Thompson, the, I can't remember the exact question how she worded it but it's like a happy memory from home or like what feels yeah. like home something that feels like home i'm like oh, that yeah. is such a great great question actually <laughs> like yeah. for good to know you and um and then she points out that in that memory he's alone and he kind of glosses over that mm-hmm. but we come to realize like he is a very lonely person even in his where you know he wants to go back to the work he was doing but even there, he was kind of an outcast. He was really good at his job, but people kind of made fun of him for the way he did it. And so there's that sympathy um, you feel toward him. And then he's just, you know, he gets this out where Sergeant Thompson's like, okay, I can wrap this up for you and you can head back home. And that's the thing he's been wanting this whole time. But because he's still bugged by how someone could get killed in the panic room um, and have the murderer, you know, not in there as well. He decides to stay, so he has this integrity to him, or at least this curiosity to figure out, you know, what the end was, even if, even if it means he can't have the thing that he wants right now, which is to be home. Yeah, it's um, 
the, that that scene of him with Thompson on the beach. I think we get so much yeah. great character work from his monologue, but also how the actor's carrying himself where he's on the beach, you know, in paradise. Yeah. Uh, and the costume is still his suit and tie. He won't even loosen his tie. Uh, and he's wearing his dress shoes. And you see Thompson like has taken her shoes off and she's walking in the water's edge on the, yeah. uh, you know, in the sand. And he's very much staying up on the dry part of the sand and just kind of shuffling uh, uncomfortably. <laughs> And she feels like like all of her portrayal is just very much natural, um, you know, about how this is what you do on the beach. And he feels very out of place there. Uh, so the, you know, where the actors were put in the scene, the way the camera follows them, his monologue, the dialogue that he's been given and his costume, like it all works so well to to give us a sense of who that character is. Um, yeah. There's even like a comedic beat that's very similar where he finally gets his luggage. I, I didn't mention the summary, but it's like his luggage gets lost um, and takes the entire episode to, to finally arrive. And there's a scene of him dragging his rolling luggage across the sand of the beach, which I think <laughs> ends up in the opening credits because it is just such a great visual of how out of place and uh, not, not just like he doesn't belong, but he doesn't know how to function. Yeah. <laughs> here. And there's a, there's an episode a few, a uh, few episodes in there's this moment where someone invites him to sit down on the sand and um, he started warming up to the place a little bit, but the next shot is of both of them sitting on chairs that he's pulled out from his house. <laughs> it's too far. <laughs> so he is sitting on the beach. But uh -huh. he's <laughs> yeah. Um, sitting on his chair. And that scene I think also does a really good job of giving us the, you know, the, the red herringness of, uh, or at least the, the moving away of suspicion of Thompson. Cause it feels like the kind of relationship that, uh, we've been trained as audiences to have for, um, an opening friendship, a long-term friendship of, yeah, of two that's characters a good point. that we're going to get. And even like the potential hint of like romantic interest, it, it, nothing is developed at all. I'm not saying yeah. they're flirting, but like, there's the hint of like, you could start to wonder as TV audiences are like, Oh, is this, is this going to be the will they won't they <laughs> um, right here? Cause she got him to open up here in the, in the pilot episode. And, and we learned both, uh, you know, his history, but we're seeing a, a change in the character dynamics right here. And then when you find out she's the bad guy, it's like, Oh, but I kind of liked you <laughs> because, yeah. because of mostly that one scene. Cause she doesn't yeah. give a ton to do outside of that scene. She, um, and, and he even like compliments her. He's like, good work. You know, as she walks off mm -hmm. and, um, so you get the sense that he recognizes he's not the only one doing work um, that he's working with the team. Yeah. And I think that's another thing that um, stands out about the show is you do get those moments where it feels like everything is coming together to tell us multiple layers of, uh, you know, of story and of character. Uh, yeah. It's not just the case, but how they're investigating it. And that uh, has implications for their character growth. Mm hmm. So. Um, Richard Poole, I, I do also want to say his, uh, the, the actor, oh, why am I forgetting his name? It's an actor I know from other things too. And I keep, ben, I think name. it's Ben Miller, right? Yes, that, that's right. Uh, so Ben Miller, he does a great, um, muttering resolution when he's trying to oh, start yeah. putting pieces together and he starts talking to himself, <laughs> which is again, it's something I've seen in so many tv episodes and mystery films and read in so many books of like you know whether it's an internal monologue in the book of like like little snatches and snippets yeah um and just from what i know of tv production i'm like fascinated with the idea that probably every one of those like half started sentences that he says was on the page like i, I think there's an assumption that there's more um improvisation that actually happens <laughs> in, yeah. in, in TV. Um, Cause there's a script supervisor there. That's usually making sure you said it exactly as it's written on the page. Uh, and unless it's really gold, <laughs> it's it, you're going to redo it exactly yeah. as um, it was on the page. And to be able to perform that in a way that is compelling when it is become almost a stereotype and a joke about murder mysteries. Yeah. I think that that shows like the quality of his acting. And again, it's, he's someone that I've seen in, in other shows too. And I'm always like, Oh, it, it's him. I know this is going to be good. Uh, Cause he's able to invest his performances with that kind of depth. Yeah. And well, and while he's doing that in the first episode, um, two of the police officers who work with him are like, are you okay? I don't think you're okay. I think you're having a heat stroke, you know? <laughs> so he's having his big moment of realization, but they're like, we need to call an ambulance. It's also being played <laughs> for comedy. Yeah. From yes, the reactions yeah. of everyone around him. Yeah. And there's moments that 
like just ride on the line of like overdoing it for me in in terms of like the character revelations but i think it always like lands in the right spot like um one of the one of his assistants in the police um or one of the deputies uh there's two men uh, in, in this episode, and one of them refers to him as chief at one point, and everyone's like, "He's not our chief." <laughs> like, like Charlie was our chief. This guy, he's he's not the chief. And then yeah. when when he does the big uh, drawing room scene where he like reveals everything that happened, and they arrest uh, the dirty cop, the one who was like, "He's not our chief," is like, "Thanks, chief." <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and like you just get one like it's got to be less than a second of Ben Miller's like face reacting to that. So they don't like really milk it. If they milked it, I would say mm, too far. But but it's just it just feels right <laughs> like yeah, like that, that of moment of acceptance yeah 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 and I, I, I think sweet love, is a good word for it yeah also that that same character Dwayne when um, <laughs> Dwayne is so good his voice yeah so many of these characters just the voice of the actors are like I want all of them to be voicing animated characters in Pixar films <laughs> oh yes like they're so good Police and Chief they also Dwayne. have their own development Neil. throughout the show <laughs> yeah and that's fun yeah but um Dwayne he uh. <laughs> When Re- Detective Poole asks to get somewhere, um, but their car is unavailable, Dwayne tells them that they actually have another vehicle. And in the next scene, Dwayne is sitting in the on a motorbike, and next to him in the little like sidecar is Detective. And Poole. it's like a comically small sidecar. Yeah, <laughs> he's got his knees hunched up, and he's holding his briefcase, and he's getting splattered by mud as they go over this yeah, road. The roads are and awful, Dwayne is so muddy. happy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, one other thing that does stand out, I think it's um the the strength of the the actually shooting on location and not like pretending, <laughs> so you know yes. a, a studio is, but like the ambiance of all the scenes. Oh, it's so good, and, and just you feel the reality that they're out on a beach and the reality that they're in uh like real uh like Caribbean forest, not uh a set design uh somewhere and. So much of our media now is is CGI, and I think the eye still kind of like tracks a little bit of like nah, not quite right. Even if it's like really good, you're like nah, not quite right. And yeah. this just feels right <laughs> when you see them. It always feels real, uh, and and I'm sure there's expenses involved in being able to do that, but it makes such a difference. I think for for how it is to consume the show. Yeah, and even though it is a murder of the week show, um, it focuses it feels like it focuses so little on the murder. Like you don't usually get a long shot of the body and um, because it's such a beautiful place, it doesn't feel like you said about a lot of British dramas. They're super dark and always rainy. Oh, I remember when my wife and I were watching bones when that was on the air, it was always like, okay, if, if this is a show we're watching, like, after we get the kids in bed, I'm like, you know, our date night, we're going to do a, you know, we made a meal together. It's like, okay, let's like watch the first five minutes of Bones and then eat our dinner because there's going to be some <laughs> really gross decomposing body on Bones. And this doesn't <laughs> doesn't go into like the body horror side yeah, of things. Yeah, it, no, it doesn't. Yeah, and it's got this great um, song. It's in, well, in the English version of the show, the main title song is from a Jamaican song called You're Wondering Now from the 1960s. So it's got this great feel to it. Um, and then I will say sometimes it is scenery. jarring, though. Yes, yes, that's true. To go true. from the murder, because <laughs> it's almost always, uh, I mean, I, it may always be that you pre-credits, yeah. you get your cast of characters that are going to be your suspects doing whatever they're doing in the discovery of the body, and the last shot is the body, and then we cut to the opening credits. And we have music <laughs> and like really bright colors in the opening credits. Cause the show, I, I mean, it's a detective comedy show, I would say. Like you are supposed yeah. to laugh and uh, not feel the dour drama <laughs> of of some detective shows. Um, but it, it that there's sometimes a disconnect there. It reminds me when um whenever I binge West Wing. Uh, like it always so many episodes end on like a super dramatic moment and then the end credits music is so peppy and like <laughs> like just yeah, a, yeah. a light very airy feel to it and and like whenever you go from like you know this dramatic pronouncement by the president of the united states about some tragedy to this music it just doesn't doesn't always land transitionally <laughs> for that well yeah that's a good point but the music of this is another thing that i think helps with the ambiance because there's a lot of music that feels not british <laughs> 
And yes. I don't know how accurate it is. This is some of my cultural ignorance coming through. I'm like, I don't know if they actually are using music from the Caribbean, um, but it's my association with the music of the Caribbean. Is, yes. I mean, at least in there. the beginning, it yeah, the title song is, uh, you know, from a Jamaican uh, it's a, song. It's a, a, yeah. So it is a Caribbean, you know, uh, feel to it. Yeah. Um, and there's so many little moments that I think land very well for us to feel like this world works. Um, like even if it is uh, like the, the detective's house on the beach that has a tree growing in it, just the way he looks at the tree, because there's <laughs> literally a tree in the middle of this house. And it's, it's such like, a beautiful tree. The wall and roof are built around it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, but he just looks at it with such disdain and they don't milk it. They, they just give you Ben Miller's side eye glance at the tree. And it's enough yeah. to know this British man does not want a tree in his house <laughs> yeah and i love the part he's on the phone with his his boss back in england and he's rubbing his hand on the handrail oh, or on the about. railing and he gets a splinter and he's like ah, ah and you could tell his boss is like are you okay and he's like it's fine it's fine and then without hearing what his boss says he says it does it does a little bit so yeah. you can tell his boss is like wait no really does it hurt and he's like yeah it it does <laughs> <laughs> So many good little moments like that. Um, yeah. I will say one thing that I did catch on in this viewing that I had never, I, I've only seen the pilot once before. Cause like I said, my wife and I just binged the whole, you know, whatever was available on Netflix at the time. Um, the motivation for the murderer in the end is uh, Lily Thompson gives the, a monologue that one be, besides, well, why she chose to become involved in human trafficking with um, John Lavender. Is that his name? John? Yeah. Uh, was that she felt like she was never going to be promoted uh, because they kept sending in outsiders like Charlie uh, to be the boss of the police force. And so she might as well go make money illegally, um, you know, with whatever connections she could make. Uh, yeah. And then, but then she also says they, they always promoted outsiders like Charlie and like him. And she points at, uh, at Richard Poole. And I was thinking like, he's only here because you murdered someone. <laughs> like, I don't know that this counts as a, a point of you motivating you to commit murder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's tricky right because like she i think she's making a fair point which is that for some reason the detective inspector is always a guy from the uk yes which but, is what part of the strange uh history of colonialization that, that is present yes. here but she's also a human trafficker so yeah. <laughs> you're like mm, they're not really giving an unbiased you know like and you cannot use richard Poole, who arrived after you committed murder as a reason for you having committed murder yes just, yeah. the timeline does not line up anymore um i think it all works for the reveal in the moment and it, like i said i didn't catch it till this this watch through i'm like wait a second you're yeah you're like making excuses which valid to make excuses i think that's a human nature thing um yes. you know so her, her logic her not being self. sound um <laughs> you know that that can ring true actually yeah uh, in that but everything she's done is indefensible so I'm, i don't really need a sound reasonable logical reason <laughs> you know that yes that she, yes that she did those things um anything else that you catch on or uh that you want to celebrate about this show yeah, I thought it was fun to, well, fun and not fun, to read into kind of the history of Guadalupe, the archipelago where they actually film. Mm -hmm. um, there was, you know, it did pass from country to country and there was a lot of um, slavery. And in uh, another episode, season two, episode one, revolves around a sugar plantation. And um, the end result is that the people who they arrest for murder were ultimately trying to avenge their father who was wrongfully killed as a worker at the plantation. And so the detective, the detectives are like, I'm usually fine about arresting people, but in this case, this just kind of sucks. Um, so they do, as we said, they do kind of on and off address colonialization. Um, I, I found it was interesting that Guadalupe itself um, is part of the European Union, um, but it's one of the it has one of the worst levels of employment in the European Union, at least as of 2010. And the French president at the time, Nicolas Sarkozy, um, visited after there were some strikes. Um, and I don't know how that situation has improved or not. I I would be really interested to know how the show has affected that. Um, mm if that's been helpful, like we said before, you know, creating that infrastructure, um, providing more jobs. Um, 
I, I would imagine tourism has increased, uh, which almost always happens when, sh- when shows are set in uh, locations like that. Yeah, and the l- l- same thing with Encanto. I would be really interested to know um, how many more people are visiting Colombia mm-hmm. because of that. So, No, it's, it's really interesting. And, I mean, they've created a fictional world um, where they could have dodged um, a lot of those issues and just said, uh, you know, it's uh, still a British colony or, you know, however they want yeah. to, to handle it. Um, and yet to make it centered through that monologue in the pilot, I think just adds weight and texture to the themes that the show is able to explore. Yeah. Um, and there are moments where the detective sergeant, you know, who's from the islands could choose relationships with the detective inspectors Mm -hmm. and they decide not to and i feel like that's kind of a subversion of the idea of like will they won't they Mm -hmm. but also like that marrying this white guy is not necessarily the that's not the that doesn't need to be the end i mean the um you know the ultimate goal or accomplishment for these women yeah and i i think it's something that's very unavoidably when you look at the screen that the man in charge of the police department is the white man and no one else is white uh in in the core recurring cast um they do have the um what is what's his title superintendent the police commissioner Uh, or police commissioner yeah he's he's black uh so there is someone above him uh that that within the hierarchical structure yeah Um, and he's funny because he is very coercive you know he uses (laughs) manipulative tap tactics to keep oh, the detective love, on the island <laughs> i love that character so much and he's, yeah, he's, he's one great. of those voices where i'm like you should be voicing the father figure in, in an animated film <laughs> yeah and he's one of the few guys who has been consistent throughout um the 11 seasons of the show his, there's just a resonance to how he delivers his lines and like the pace yes. with which he chooses uh to say his words yeah and he's the, this white-haired man yeah. <laughs> and the inflections like you're saying like the, the kind of manipulative inflections that he gives when he's like i'm going to be saying one thing but i want you to do the opposite yes yeah <laughs> and he's always like well-meaning like you know he's a good character but he's sometimes like oh you need to call them by this time to tell them if you want to go back to the uk and they're like wait but that's only five minutes from now. He's like, well, sorry. Oh, is the phone out of service? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I don't have any service. I, yeah. Um, I, I, I mentioned that we don't see a lot of Camille uh, in this, in this episode. She's more, um, you know, almost a MacGuffin that's being chased than yeah. a character. But I think we do get enough to like understand why she's going to become a main character for the show. Um, like, we see her um, very quick-mindedly make up an excuse that Detective Poole completely buys when she's searching Charlie's house, um, that she's the cleaning lady. And that it's not just that she made up the excuse, like she committed to it. Yeah. <laughs> when she starts crying. Right. Yeah. That's what I was like. I know she like she, she was like emotionally invested in Charlie. Uh, it, it's what, what, what we're shown. Yeah, she starts bawling when she's told that Charlie, <laughs> Charlie's dead. Um, yeah. And as an audience, we're like we were shown her like sneaking around and and, and everything. Uh, and so like there's there's moments that are revealing, uh, you know, the cleverness that she has and the intelligence that's going to become a hallmark of her character. Uh, yeah. So I think yeah. I think sometimes when you have fish out of water stories, the other characters that are around them get presented not as necessarily smart, but as like knowing of the culture and that's what makes them you know guides or uh you know helpers to to the main character but the real source of intelligence is the main character i think camille is an example of someone that we get that is very smart on her own and not just because yeah. she knows the culture and richard Poole doesn't know the culture yeah all right well do you have any final thoughts on uh death in paradise or richard Poole? i just i i think it's so cool that there are so many people throughout the world who I know are watching similar media. And so it's fun to think about what about this show is comforting and comfortable enough to come back to. And it, you know, being a murder of the week, but also bringing in this new element. So it's got, you know, a newness to it, but also a place where um, it's easy to go each week. And these characters who you grow to love. um, So it's just, it feels like a warm place to be. Mm -hmm. And I think it'd be very 
uh, it can be disappointing and frustrating when the cast does turn over because you yeah. do become invested in who these characters are and their place on the show. But it does also maintain a level of freshness. And at this point, it is so baked into the show's DNA. I don't think it's as jarring as yeah. when it first happened. Um, you know, there are <laughs> that was basically as jarring as it could possibly oh, yeah. be. <laughs> Maybe not handled the best the first time. <laughs> uh, I mean, but there's famous examples throughout pop culture history of shows that changed up the cast to keep things fresh and audiences rejecting it, or it's considered the moment where a show jumped the shark. Uh, but for death in paradise, because it's so s- centered on the idea of the British detective, uh, you fish out of water part of it. Um, I think we're able to swap that out here and there. Um, and, and it still works. And the, that, that Island ambiance and, and the shooting location and all that we get from there is a reason that viewers are going to keep coming back. Yeah, but I do appreciate that the show doesn't handle those transitions lightly. Um, like after the first transition happens, there's still, you know, the the people left behind are still kind of reeling from that. And in some instances, they don't really recover. You know, they don't bounce back and say like, oh, well, now I'm going to have a relationship with this new detective inspector because it mattered to them. Yeah. this person it would feel different. very cheap if they didn't like yeah. it really was yeah. just a plug and play uh and and similarly like a lot of the supporting cast um you know are gonna get promoted or go find new job opportunities somewhere else and it is treated as like something's missing for a while uh and yes a new character is brought in to, you know to fill that void but it's it's not like instantaneously they expect the audience to just move on and accept the new one as as integral as as the previous character was yeah and sometimes they pull characters back in which is so fun yeah. So they, when, you know, they you still exist outside. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They come back either as uh, for one time or sometimes even back for, for longer runs. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it was surprising to me when I jumped back to this first episode uh, because, you know, I'm, I'm several cast changes, <laughs> you know, past since I watched it. That there were a lot of characters like, Oh, I remember, <laughs> you know, I yeah. remember them. Oh yeah. Great. Great to see them again. Um, and it's, you know, uh, the, that nice alchemical blend of, of writing, acting, directing, and location is all coming together to make something that's working really well. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all I had. Thank you for suggesting that we talk about this. It's one that I kind of had like, oh, that'd be a fun one to talk about, but had never had never dived into. So I'm glad you asked us to do it, Rachel. Oh, I'm glad. I think that's going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast on your podcast app of choice and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott Tofty who composed our theme music. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. And listeners, thank you for downloading this episode. We will be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. Oh, no, that's the end of the outro. I was trying to do the outro from memory without scrolling down to it, and I got (laughs) off. Sorry, Andrew, you have to edit this. Sorry.